0: yes it's time for the film file the film show for film geeks by film geeks please refrain from smoking on the right hand side of this podcast Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford.
1: You do realise that's going on, the end sting this week. (laughs) I knew as soon as I started on it. It'll be the last thing that any of our listeners hear and it'll be stuck in their head all day.
0: (laughs) If you're wondering what we're talking about, stick around to the end sting. Yes, the bit where we do something stupid, Andy records it and leaves it in. How are you folks? Uh, Good to be back with you. I I need
1: to to throw in for the radio edit and I'm Andy Meakin should we do it all again let's just carry on (laughs) our normal listeners on the podcast know how we just go all over the place anyway so this won't sound too weird to them and i can edit it so that it it just goes out normally on the radio version
0: (laughs) yeah if you didn't know we do a radio version as well uh have you been my friend i know you are are tired
1: i'm tired which with me generally means that i'm a bit hyper oh okay oh
0: it's gonna be one heck of a show
1: I'm still not sleeping well i've got a week off coming up i can sleep on my week off that's how i look at things every every three months i have a week off and that's when my body shuts down just got a few more days to get through Well, i've been okay uh, i've been spending my sleepless nights catching up with tv shows mostly ted lasso ended this week
0: I've not watched it yet i watched. Oh, it. oh man is it good
1: because i i
0: read somewhere that it was a disappointing ending maybe i shouldn't ask maybe i should just wait to find out I,
1: i'd say that it's all the people who say things that have disappointing endings are the people who build up what they think that it should be
0: yeah it's always the always the thing isn't it when it comes to last episodes
1: you write your own i like a show to occasionally surprise me with something that i wasn't expecting which works and i think that everything how it ends all makes perfect sense i i had so much fun with it i had tears in my eyes yeah it's a good ending so uh Look forward to that one. Good. There are times that I've enjoyed an ending which I have predicted everything on. Hey, Game of Thrones, I predicted everything in that final episode. So all the people who said that it all came out of nowhere, guess what? It didn't. It was signposted <laughs> for seasons before and you just weren't paying attention. It wasn't a great final season because it was poorly paced. But how all the characters' journeys ended made perfect sense to me. I'm happy for a show to end how it wants to. Battlestar Galactica is one of my favourite shows for the ending because it ended that they ended up on earth way in the past and it was all religious aspects and there was angels like and it was heaven and hell aspect and I was so so confounded by all the fans online who were saying at the times like where did that come from? why is it all religious? It's like the, the very first pilot episode the yeah, TV yeah. movie um, had like predictions and philosophies and it was it made clear this was going to have religion throughout it. You just weren't paying attention because, ooh, spaceships. That's it. You need to pay attention to story journeys in order to appreciate what the writers are actually delivering you at the end. Yeah, I've got no problem with the ending. The only only show that I had a problem with the ending was Dexter.
0: Well, a series I never watched, so I I can't comment on that. Um, One of my uh, favourite shows, finished. It's going to be my neat thing. I'm going to be talking about the ending episode, spoiler
1: free. Uh, more of that later on the back of your neat thing uh the other week i'm halfway through watching poker face now so good so totally enjoying good it. it's just uh, so simply put together that you know you get the whatever crimes being committed and then you get her involvement in slowly uncovering it before she buggers off because she's on the run
0: which is just a throwback to those 70s seventy shows. yeah even down to the to the typeface at the beginning of yeah. the episode loving it absolutely loving it and glad that they've uh, commissioned a season two would be so disappointed to think that was it. But yeah,
1: Yeah. great, great stuff. Great show. So, you know, all you listeners out there who might maybe think of our neat things as just us showing off things that we've watched and you can't be bothered checking them. No, seriously, that, you know, this is another example of when one of us has suggested it and the other one's gone, got to jump on that and loved it.
0: Yeah. Well, you were responsible for me getting into Ted Lasso and doing exactly that. So last week, we set ourselves a social challenge, and that social challenge last week
1: was... Is there any character from the big screen that you've looked at and you've thought, man, if that person was real, we'd be best buddies in real life? You know, those characters that you just gravitate, you you think we've got so much in common, or maybe you've not got a lot in common, but you know that the banter would be amazing. We've had a handful of responses. Okay.
0: Uh, I said Captain Jack Sparrow is uh, someone to go out for a drink with, which would end badly
1: no doubt yes you'd be a, you'd be a wreck on a beach <laughs> yeah. so i asked a few of the few of my buddies at work john who's at old man chimes on youtube twitter etc well worth a follow he started off saying the family from the texas chainsaw massacre
0: <laughs> okay, always always an interesting dinner guest.
1: I stepped five steps away from him and <laughs> asked him, "No, seriously." <laughs> Jason Lee's character in Maul Rats Yeah, I could see that. He'll yeah, be a really cool guy to hang with, and because he's a huge Twin Peaks fan, he reckons he'd get on really well with Dale Cooper. Okay, you could eat pie together. Carl, who always forgets to submit it through um, other avenues, so I always ask him directly. Jay and Silent Bob. Um, he's gonna he's gonna be completely zoned out <laughs> yes. for most of the time. Don't be making any plans for the rest of the day. Andy Kennedy told us Gary King from The World's End, Simon Pegg's character. Okay, yeah. You know that he's a bit of a dick. You know he's a bit full of himself. But you also know that he's just a genuinely cool guy that you just can't help gravitate around because he's he's flawed as as well at the same time. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, good one. My mum, I mean, I could have predicted what my mum was going to say. Richard Gere's character, Edward from Pretty Woman. She is obsessed with that man. <laughs> she is absolutely obsessed. In the same way that I've got an obsession with Ryan Reynolds, my mum's got the same obsession with Richard Gere. Wesley Alexander, Ray from Bruges.
0: Okay, another good one.
1: Um, Stephen Blaine Young, Pippin, for hobbity reasons. Uh, Lindsay Storey posted a GIF of Rocket and Groot. And yeah. I think I'd like to be friends with Rocket. Excellent. I think conversations with Groot would get a bit tedious after a while.
0: Until you understand it, you spoke the language.
1: Yeah, but it, it'll take three films. <laughs> Mev's Mats over on Mastodon. Oh, there's a lot. More than real people. And this list. Rick O'Connell from The Mummy. Sean from Shaun of the Dead. H from Ready Player One. Simon from Love, Simon. Love this one. Prince Akeem from Coming to America. <laughs>
0: oh, that would be... Everything would be just fun.
1: <laughs> the Whole American Pie cast. And i kind of get that because yeah. we've all we've all had that bonding with similar with mixed range of people tree geldman from happy death day this one i was very pleased with because this is one that i thought of but thought maybe it says a bit too much about my mental state and was worried about it tyler durden from fight club and i am so there for that <laughs> reason being with tyler durden At the end of the day, it's just a part of your own subconscious desires and wants of what you want to be. So why wouldn't you get on with that person?
0: Which is exactly the same reason we started this podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Evan from The Butterfly Effect, Donnie Darko, Harold and Maud, The Brothers from Onward, Ferris Bueller. Oh, yeah,
0: good one. Why didn't I see that? Uh,
1: Peter Parker, the Tom Holland version, Beverly Marsh from it, and Scott Carlin from King of Staten Island just to name a few
0: awesome that's an amazing list
1: ken at the naked airplane over on mastodon gave the correct answer would quite like to hang in that record store in high fidelity and that is the correct answer yeah that just seems like a great bunch of people and over on twitter nadine geneva danny ocean yep i'm all there for that and natasha romanoff yep i'm all there for that and stevie dan 1969 threw in malcolm reynolds from serenity who'd be a good laugh and i can't help but agree. That's what the responses that we've had. I'll also throw in Peter Claven uh, played by Paul Rudd in I Love You, Man. I think me and him would get on perfectly. He just seems my kind of cool dude who's a bit insecure, which is exactly what I am. Speaking of dudes, the dude, Big Lebowski.
0: Yeah, you'd, you'd enjoy your bowling an awful lot more.
1: He wouldn't be a best buddy, but he'd be a great hangout buddy. You know that whatever you, you know, whenever you hang out, you're just going to chill, talk politics, talk the world, talk entertainment, and play bowling. And that and you would like abide nice every time you would abide exactly and uh, after talking about her multiple times over this past week i'm gonna say aquafina's character in shang chi because
0: she is a best buddy
1: she's a really good best friend loyal dependable will go to the ends of the earth with you and will happily just talk nonsense with you i'm there for it
0: okay so i'm going to give you this week's question Uh, and this is based on the fact that andy and i are going to be talking about uh the new animated spider-man film in our reviews and there's one actor who who appears in that who is one of those steadfast great supporting character actors that whatever he's in he's just perfect Uh, and that's sheer wiggum uh you remember him from uh, well he, he came to light for me from in boardwalk empire but everything he's in. He just adds this uh, modicum of class to any supporting role. Same with J.K. Simmons. Put J.K. Simmons in any film, and he just ups the ante. Uh, He's just one of those very, very reliable, uh, usually supporting actors. and Yeah, occasionally he does a leading role, but normally you see him in the support cast. So who's one of those actors that whenever they appear in a, a smaller role, the sidekick role, the supporting role, that just adds that element of class to whatever film that you're watching even if the film's not too good you put that one actor in it it just changes the game on it Uh, let us know and you can do so across all of our socials which includes
1: facebook twitter instagram just search for Filmfile uk you'll find us on all social media platforms and especially on mastodon where i tend to lurk
0: and that quite nicely leads into this week's show what have we got on offer for you well we've got reviews of spider-man across the spider-verse uh, Andy and I, again, will both be talking about the new Stephen King adaptation, The Boogeyman, and also a film that looks like it's crazy, and I so want to see
1: it, and that is... Sisu which uh, landed at cinemas last week and is still out there for those who want to clamour to find it.
0: We've got a deep dive into the Shane Black written Last Boy Scout, directed by Tony Scott and starring Bruce Willis. But before that, we've got some news and we've got some box office. <music> So surprisingly, in the world of box office, Fast X, which came out two weeks ago, hasn't revved past the finishing line. Little Mermaid swam to the top, I believe. Or are we going across the Spider-Verse and swing into the number one position with Spider-Man? And where does that leave Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3?
1: So starting with the US, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse swings straight into the top spot with 120.7 million this weekend. The Little Mermaid drops to second place, 41.4 million added to its total. The Boogeyman enters into third place with 12.4 million. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, 10.7 million this week, taking it to fourth place. And Fast X is now in fifth place with 9.6 million. In the UK, it's pretty much more of the same. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse again top spot, nine point two million pounds. The Little Mermaid second place with four point two million added onto its total. Fast X takes another one point one million. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three in fourth place with nine hundred ninety-three thousand, and The Boogeyman opening in fifth place with four hundred ninety-two thousand. Across the Spider-Verse in its opening weekend worldwide has made two hundred twenty-one. Point A very strong opening for a film that cost a hundred million. It's already gone to profit. Everything it does from this point onwards is just bonus. Guardians of the Galaxy is up to 783 million worldwide and still holding over quite well week on week. A much needed hit from the MCU. The Little Mermaid has had a reasonably decent holdover. It's now up to just over 332 million worldwide. Fast X is starting to put the brakes on. Its drop off this weekend was pretty strong. It's up to 660 million worldwide. It basically looks like Fast X is sputtering to a halt before the finish line. Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to get much more. And it's already been announced that it's going to get released on home streaming by the end of this month. So they've got no confidence confidence on it retaining any box office energy.
0: Why do we think that is? I mean, it's, it's a successful franchise. It clearly is because it's got to. Uh, it's had 11 films and it's now in its 10th. Film of the actual franchise itself, why is this one spluttering? I know there are reasons, uh, and it's not, in our opinion, Jason Mamawa has suggested by its star.
1: What are the reasons? Well, the warnings have been there for the past few films. It has started to see a decline in box office. Once we got the spin off Hobbs and Shaw, that didn't perform to the strength of the normal franchise, but kind of expected, even though it had great star power. And then the last film didn't do anywhere near what fast eight had done fast eight was basically the one that people say was that the fine that was it they were done they were out they should have left it there and that was the wasn't fast eight the one that was was the send-off for paul walker
0: i believe so yeah i mean as you know i'm not not a fan of the series but uh everything i've read is is that fast eight was was the one where they should have called it quits
1: and i think some of your more casual fans of the series basically said that's it they don't need to continue after this that's a good send-off finished as much as vin diesel likes to say this is my franchise and you know i'm the most important thing yeah you weren't there for the second film were you you, well, you were nowhere one. near the second film and he had a cameo in the third one right at the end end section and it's just like you weren't interested in this franchise yourself until you got a deal to be able to do the riddick films and so came back and now you're making it your baby. And I think the behind the scenes confrontations between The Rock and him, which became big news, it makes a lot of people go, oh, come on guys, you are two up yourselves and people have distanced themselves. So it's right. only got its hardcore audience anymore. And people like me who are so far down this rabbit hole, we feel we need to watch them even though we're hating them. <laughs> and I'm not alone in this. I was speaking to someone at work this week who's exactly the same. He feels that he needs to watch them all because he's already seen them all. I just think that it's only got its hardcore audience now and everyone else has gone, gone preposterous. You went into space on the last film. Hobbs and Shaw was a sci-fi piece of nonsense. As much as he enjoyed it, it had nothing to do with Fast and Furious. And the only thing that was fun in this one, everyone's been saying Jason Momoa, which Vin Diesel is absolutely hating. He's he's blaming Momoa for the failings at the box office of the film, saying that he's destroyed destroyed the image of the film. And it's like, he, you know, he chews the scenery too much and tries to steal the limelight. It's like, yeah, but every critic has said that despite the film being quite lacklustre. Momoa's the actually engaging element of it. So maybe it's only done this much money because of Jason Momoa. Maybe it would have done much less if Momoa wasn't in it. Because I know I've been saying to people, it's like the film's a piece of junk, but it's worth seeing for Jason Momoa and John Cena and that's it. So maybe some people are going to see it just for them because they've heard so much positive things about them, even though John Cena's character has a complete personality change since the last film because he's now the fun uncle. This is the problem with the franchise. Whatever happens in one one film has no consequence on future films. Characters die. They come back. How? Just because they do. Characters who are bad guys suddenly become good guys and part of the family. Why? Just because they do. And that's it. If you're going to have a continuous franchise that is trying to be one big story about family at least have some internal consistency of logic channeling throughout i don't mind characters getting brought back from the dead i've read marvel comics for most of my life it happens all the time but over 11 films to have killed off i think four characters so far who've all come back you've made the stakes it's pointless You could have explosions everywhere and bodies flying everywhere and limbs getting severed off and the audience just sat there going well they were back in two films
0: yeah so it sounds like it's it's reached that stage where the audience have just sort of moved away from it kind of you could draw some kind of correlation between that and end game where people thought well i I don't want to go back now because my my favorite characters aren't going to be in it's interesting that we still have another film to go and it has been announced this week that the Rock is interested in reprising the Hobbs and line, but kind of at this stage doing it on his Probably own. I'm
1: sure. <laughs> this is news that came as no big surprise, even though it was revealed on social media as though, like, oh, wow, they're, do- they're doing a Fast and Furious spin off because the end credit Sting, and it's been out for two weeks, and if anyone was bothered, they already know by now. So I've got to say it. The end credit Sting was set up to show that The Rock was back in the franchise because his character, who never wore a mask in any of the films, is suddenly wearing full combat gear and tactical masks and like headsets so that he can go into an area and then a message says, I'm going to track you down and kill you because you were responsible for this. And he pulls off the mask in a big, the rock's back. Not a big surprise at all.
0: But it's just going to be a Hobbs spin-off rather than Hobbs and Shaw.
1: Yeah, it's they've said it's going to be a Hobbs spin-off. It's going to tie into the events of Fast 10 and Fast 11. I've seen it described as Fast 10.5, Right. basically filling in what he's been up to. While everything's been going in, there will be some characters from the Fast and Furious franchise, whether or not one of them is going to be Vin Diesel's character is another matter, because although they've said on social media, um, and I'll use The Rock's words here, despite us having our differences, me and Vin, we've been like brothers for years. When you lead with the idea of number one, resolve. But also, you just think about the future. You just think about the plans that are much bigger than ourselves. And those bigger plans are bigger build-outs. Those bigger plans are the North Star. So they still don't see eye to eye, but they're resolving their issues so that they can all come back for the franchise. But whether they'll work together on set is another matter. I enjoyed Hobbs and Shaw, but part of what I enjoyed was that buddy-cop style was that dynamic of
0: those two characters and those two actors
1: working together. And I'm not sure I'll just want to see a rock ego project because that's what it's become. Vin Diesel's fast franchise is a Vin Diesel ego project and everything The Rock is touching these days is a rock ego project. And I just want him to get back to just being a charismatic lead in an action film rather than trying to take control of it and make it all about him. Moving on. Moving swiftly on.
0: So this piqued my interest. And what it actually means is uh, is so far just up for some amount of discussion. But my all-time favorite horror film, which you should know is The Thing, directed by John Carpenter, It seems that Carpenter has teased a sequel with the line, I am sworn to secrecy. Now, does that mean that John Carpenter is coming back to do uh, another film? It's going to be an an update to the long-rumored sequel to this. I'm going to use the word masterpiece. Is it going to be somebody like David Gordon Green's recent sequels, which sort of had another director coming in and doing something with it with carpenter giving his seal of approval who knows at this stage carpenter hasn't directed a, a feature film himself since since way back in 2010 with the ward which mm. was okay ish so is this what's going to bring him out of sort of his semi-retirement to helm the thing too i know it sounds like wishful thinking it sounds like that would be absolutely perfect do we need a sequel to this masterpiece who knows? But it is intriguing.
1: Yeah, this hint came from a Q&A at a convention this week. Now, every time the carpenter had been asked this question, he'd always skirted around it and avoided it. And the question was, had Childs in the final scene been turned into the thing? And he's always left it ambiguous. But this time, his answer of being sworn to secrecy, okay, because there may be—I don't know if there will be—there may be a thing too. It means that something to the pipeline. There was stories a couple of years ago of a reboot of the thing called Frozen Hell, which was going to be an adaptation of the expanded novel-length version of Who Goes There from John W. Campbell Jr. Right. That could be the project that he's hinting at, but there's no official confirmation. I think there's room for either a redo of the novel to film or to just pick up from after the events of the film and move forward. Anyone who read the Dark Horse graphic novels?
0: Yes, we've talked about that when we did our deep dive into it.
1: Know that there's enough story there to be able to tease out. Because the Thing wants to get off Antarctica. The Thing wants to get into major civilization. It can't do a Thing on the ice shelf. I hope for some Carpenter involvement in it, even just as a producer. Yeah. I'd also hope that if they do do it, they don't plan it to be a trilogy and drag it out unnecessarily. Just yeah. give us a one-off film. We've had one great film for the past few decades. We'll be happy with another great film for the next few decades. Um, sticking with horror, Kamal Nanjiani and Mandy Moore have reportedly closed deals to star in Thread and Insidious Tale, one of many planned spin-offs of the Insidious Supernatural film franchise. Okay. I kind
0: of lost track of the Insidious movies after, ooh, three?
1: Yeah, I, I quite like the Insidious movies, uh, particularly the first two I thought were really good. Three and four we're okay. I am looking forward to the fifth one, Insidious the Red Door, which comes out next month, uh, because this is returning to focus on Josh and Dalton, uh, Patrick Wilson and Ty Simpkins. So it's going back to the threads of the first and second film. But this spin off, which Nanjiani and Moore are going to be in, will follow a husband and wife who enlist the help of a spell to travel back in time such that they can prevent the death of their young daughter. The consequences prove to be severe. Moon Knight and Umbrella Academy co-creator Jeremy Slater is going to direct from okay. his own script. Now I'm interested. And the usual suspects of James Wan and Jason Blum will produce for Screen Gems, Blumhouse and Atomic Monster. No word yet on when it begin filming. But let's be honest, when it comes to like low-budget horrors from Blumhouse, they could start filming it tomorrow and it'll be out in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and also with horror, Nosferatu, which we are both looking forward to. We are. Robert Eggers' film. If anyone's going to bring a good Nosferatu for the modern day to the screen, it's Eggers. Well, filming has now officially wrapped. So now it's uh, going into post-production, which means it's getting closer and closer and closer. And we might get some tease images and trailers. Pretty soon, we we mentioned this the other day that we still
0: haven't seen, other than a teaser poster for the Salem's Lot remake, which I believe is due this year. Got pushed back. We know it got pushed back, but uh, I'd have thought we'd have started to see some some character stills, some images, if not a teaser trailer at this stage.
1: Yeah, this is a film that was originally due out a couple of months ago. Yeah, but shifted, and we've not seen anything. I'm wondering if this is going to end up dropping any cinema release. Mm.
0: It has gone. It has gone
1: particularly quiet. Are they waiting to see? Because we know that Stephen King projects to film over the past few years have done poorly. Are they waiting to see how Boogeyman performs before they make the final decision? Very possible that it's the Stephen. It's the Stephen King brand that the worried has tainted it.
0: So we mentioned that there is a live action remake, as is Disney's want at the moment, and this time is going to be Moana, which is not that long since it came out as an animated feature and that the Hamilton director, Thomas Cale, is set to helm this particular project.
1: Yeah, I think it's confident hands to steer the ship. The original animated movie, for those who haven't seen it, and seriously, just, just get it watched. It's one of the best of the modern era of Disney animations. Landed two Oscar nominations, following a young Pacific Islander of the same name who disobeys her chieftain father, sets out on the ocean to reunite a mystical relic with its owner, the goddess named tafiti on the way she releases the demigod maui which was voiced by the rock and is going to be played by the rock in this new version from his island prison is captured by a monstrous crab and finds the strength to become a chief her father really believes she could be all that we know on the casting so far is dwayne johnson because it's all about him i'm interested in this okay i love moana and whilst yes it, it's less than a decade old it doesn't really need a live action remake Straight, even though he will make it all about him and we've said about how the rock makes things all about him the character of maui is all about him i can't see anyone else in that role and so if you're going to make a live-action remake of this film it needs to be made whilst he's still got the physicality for this role i think it's got potential to be something special and seeing how they've just recently done the little mermaid and done a sterling job of like adapting that and changing a few elements and adding some new songs and you know what I'll, i'll be there for it doubt there'll be a couple of new songs by lin-manuel miranda because that's disney's want these days but um i'm I'm there for it so it's not
0: only disney now who are going back and remaking their past catalogue as live actions it now seems that dreamworks are jumping in onto this particular bandwagon with a live action how to train your dragon and they've cast in the lead roles as hiccup and astrid mason thames and Nico Park.
1: Yep, Mason Thames. you might know from the excellent Black Phone from last year. He was great in that. Absolutely brilliant. And Nico Parker had a small but very memorable role as the daughter of Pedro Pascal's character in the first episode of HBO's Last of Us. Yeah, great bit of casting. How to Train Your Dragon was a joy of a trilogy of animations and it spun off into a tv series which was enjoyable yeah not as good. good as the films yeah, but it was it, enjoyable
0: i have seen it the child used to watch it incessantly
1: i'm excited to see the live-action representation of these characters in like a yeah live-action dragons are they going to go for the same kind of style or are they going to make them more game of Thrones ish dragons who knows uh, but oscar-nominated filmmaker dean DeBloy, who wrote and directed the original animated trilogy that ran from 2010 to 2000 2019 is returning to write produce and direct this new take so it's in the hands of the person who gave us those great three films so let's not write this one off
0: i have no marvel news this week but there is a little bit of dc news around the upcoming aquaman and the lost kingdom in which director james wan has confirmed that the dc reboot has now led to various shall we say that use the word adjustments this aquaman movie
1: it's still kind of because it's set in the undersea kingdom away from everything else it doesn't feel that it's going to get necessarily impacted by anything that's happening at the moment and the flash is not going to impact on it as well because it's a separate story so he had he had freedom to do what he wanted but at the same time they've had to restructure certain elements for where the dc is going to be going in the future if there's the option for momoa to stick around we're getting the same with the flash, because apparently the ending for the flash is still under wraps. And even though there was a cinemacon screening in April, that ended abruptly before the final shots. And the recent screenings this week on Burbank, they've blurred out some elements, they're keeping a lot of things secret. And reports have said that the scene has been altered so many times since April, suggesting that Warners are prepping for any contingency with the characters based on the success or failure of the film. Uh, Reports also say that a sequel script is already drafted up for The Flash by Aquaman scribe David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, which will see Keaton's Batman and Callie's Supergirl reprise their roles in future ones, but nothing about which version of The Flash.
0: And also that's based on the fact that the flash does well because tracking at the moment appears to be a little bit poor
1: yeah it was initially suggested to be opening for 140 million weekend but it's now dropped down to a 75 million domestic us weekend now before people start damning it and saying that's it it's flopped it's worth noting that aquaman did less On its opening weekend and that finished at over a billion so opening weekends and we've been having this discussion off air over the past few days ourselves the opening weekends are becoming less and less important it's the holdover weekends that are more important now it's the drop-offs on week two and week three because if you get a 60 odd percent drop off your film's dead you could have a fantastic opening weekend but if you drop off significantly on week two you're done fast x looking straight at you whereas you could have a soft opening but have a small drop-off and keep running and running and running. Puss in boots, I'm looking at you. And also with DC News, The Batman Part 2, which was due to begin filming later this year, has now been rescheduled to March 2024. There's been no official reason given in the statements announced. But let's be honest it's the writers guild strike isn't it
0: i'm assuming that's going to be it because we are starting to see movies getting impacted now by the strike and, and schedules and release dates are, are being moved right left and center until the strike is resolved
1: and um, over at marvel well sony's marvel amy pascal has been speaking this week and revealed that multiple spider-man movies are planned including a miles morales live-action movie various spider-woman projects and a fourth entry in the tom holland films now we knew that there was always going to be a fourth tom holland one but there's been no official confirmation at any point Everyone's scared around it even tom holland's remained quiet on it and which that's is unusual if you've
0: uh, ever heard uh,
1: tom holland just blab but we knew it eventually happened because they were so popular nothing at the moment is progressing on them though because the writers stri- writers guild strike is on And as Amy Pascal says, we're all being supporters. So they're not going to progress with any of the plans. Holland confirmed himself that the talks for him to reprise the role have taken place. He starts off saying, I can't talk about that because he's been told so many times. But I can say that we've been having meetings. we put the meetings on pause in solidarity with the writers. There's been multiple conversations had, but at this point, it's very, very early stages. And naturally, all the clickbait sites have started announcing the film has been given a title already with exclusive scoop added onto it and insiders who remain anonymous. And anyone who believes any of that junk out there, seriously, do you never listen to us when I tell you to wait until there's official confirmation? Stop dealing in speculation. just 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 us Um, i've had a few people at work this week come up to me say oh i heard the call in like the new spider-man film and they'll just it'll have something with home in it so like home alone or i'm just like where are you getting this rubbish there's nothing even written at this point in time (laughs) stop it anyway stop believing nonsense
0: so someone both andy and i really like is rebecca ferguson she is that such a class in everything that she's in she was phenomenal i thought in doctor sleep she is reliable in everything from the mission impossible films to dune not often gets a a leading role apart from a series you've talked about which is silo which was your neat thing anyway she's now lined up to take the lead of a new revenge thriller best served cold uh, originally published as joe abercrombie's first law world series back in 2009 Best of Cold tells the story of a legendary mercenary Monza Makata to be played by Ferguson, the betrayal that ostracizes her and their ensuing quest for revenge that will forever change a nation. And Abercrombie is writing the script for director Tim Miller, who is attached at this possible time.
1: Tim Miller being attacked makes me excited and uh, trepidatious at the same time. Tim Miller, who gave us Deadpool. Yay! Tim Miller who gave us Terminator Dark Darkface. Oh, oh, which version of Tim Miller are we, going to, are we going to get for this one? He also gave us
0: Love and Robots, which we did like.
1: Yeah. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson. Like you say, she's very rarely gets a lead role. So this is a chance for her to see if she's got that lead star power. And I think she's got it. Looking at how she's performing on Silo, she's amazing. But she's always been great and everything. More than happy to uh, keep a lookout for this one. And we'll keep you updated. Scott says he had a meeting with the Pope this past week. Oh right. Is that the name of his next film? He's announced a new film project, which could very well be the next one that he works on. There was a conference this week called The Global Aesthetics of the Catholic Imagination that took place at Vatican City in Rome on Saturday and was organized by La Civilita, Catalicia, and Georgetown University. And Scorsese, in a statement said, "'I've responded to the Pope's appeal to artists in the only way I know how, by imagining and writing a screenplay for a film about Jesus, and I'm about to start making it.'" Scorsese apparently discussed film references and personal anecdotes related to religion and Catholicism, from praising Pasolini's The Gospel According to St. Matthew to discussing his own religious-themed films like The Last Temptation of Christ, which, if you remember, caught some huge controversy. Oh. Of the day, yeah, and also silence, which kind of went under a lot of people's radars, but was uh, another one that delved into Scorsese's own faith through his character's eyes. Scorsese is also participating in, in a series of screenings of his films and works that inspired them, including a masterclass in Rome. And on stage conversations in Bologna. So he's, he's met with the Pope and said, I'm doing. I'm touching on God again. I don't, I don't know whether he said he's touching on God again. I don't, I don't know how he phrased it, but he basically had a meeting with the Pope to just say that it, he wants to do another faith-led one and he wants to tell the story of Jesus from another point of view. How the Pope reacted, whether he slapped him and said, what was the last temptation of Christ all about? You upset us all. I don't know, but I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that one. We
0: here at the Film File are seriously looking forward to Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. And of course that means we are looking forward to Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part Two. And there has been some casting announcement. Roll Saxon from the first film is returning. The great Holt McCalney is one of those actors that we have talked about earlier who's put him in a supporting role, always brings some gravitas to it. You'll remember him spectacularly from the brilliant David Fincher series Mindhunter. And our very own Hannah Waddingham has now joined the cast of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2, as has the great Nick Hofferman.
1: Add Nick Hofferman to everything. It's a great bit of seasoning. Former stuntman turned filmmaker Rick Roman Wow is set to direct two sequels, Greenland 2 and Cliffhanger 2, and has delivered a bit of an update on each of the projects of what to expect. Uh, Greenland 2, which has been going to be titled Greenland Migration, is going to be set five to seven years after the first film's ending. Greenland was such a good film. I expected it to be absolutely dismal.
0: We, I saw the trailer with you and I said, I really like the look of that. And you went, no, it looks
1: like garbage. <laughs> As it's not a post-nuclear scenario, the survivors are able to return to the surface after only a few years. Even so, it will be enough to have left an impact. And so it's five to seven years later. It's enough that, which was very true about the last extinction event, was that there was so much toxicity in the atmosphere that nobody could live above ground for quite a while. There were still fires and there's all kinds of stuff going on. Ash, you couldn't breathe, etc. So, according to WoW, they went by science and allowed a number of years to go by where you realise that these people have been imprisoned underground. What does that do to the human psyche? How does that contribute when you go into migration mode and you're trying to find new places to survive and you have all that trauma hey we had two almost two years of lockdown look how it affected all of our social psyche imagine that but you can't actually go for your daily walks yes anyway it sounds like an interesting concept it's again going to be that personal journey the little boy that was eight years old is now 13 or 14 you know what's his life as a teenager when he's not actually known what life is growing up it's it sounds an interesting way to take it he had added that work will begin on the greenland sequel well before a fall has fallen film gets made which apparently is going to be called night has fallen but he's also said about the cliffhanger 2 is not a reboot and much more in the vein of things like creed in that stallone returns as his character gabriel walker whilst also setting up the next generation of mountain rescuers he said that the film sounds like it's going to be built on a similar emotional beats from a tragic accident early on leading to it estrangement between characters throughout the film, along with bad guys up to no good on a mountaintop, which is what you expect. Yeah. More of the same, but in a legacy kind of way. And you know what? I'm kind of there for that. And let's just round off with Star Wars update. Taika Waititi is still apparently penning his Star Wars film that uh, <laughs> we, can't, we kind of keep forgetting about. In his words, I've got a really good idea for it. It's just as with all films, it's this middle part. You're like, what's going to happen? And then you look at all those films that are so great and you're like, well, I guess they can't meet some smuggler with an alien sidekick. So he, it sounds like he knows how he wants to start it. He knows how he wants to finish it, but just can't get that middle chunk sorted. It wasn't one of the previously released three projects that are planned to go into production soon. Those, those were James Mangold, Charmaine Obeyed Chinoy, and Dave Filoni's. There's no other details for Waititi, but you know, it's nice to know that it's still on the table.
0: And that, folks... That's the news for this week. Still with us? Good. And if you haven't subscribed, the big question is why not? Please do. All you have to do, head over to your favourite podcast platform, look for the film file, hit that subscription button, and become a part of, as Vin Diesel would say, the family. Yes, it's all about the family.
1: And don't forget to leave us a rating. And I'm nicking this one from Brett Goldstein because when he said it, it made perfect sense. Give us five stars because if you like the show, you want more people to listen to it. And so you can talk about the show with your friends. So there's more chance that they'll see it. If you don't like the show, more people will be able to find our show if it it gets given a high rating including people who you hate. So you, you, you get your own back on them by forcing the show on them. So <laughs> give us five stars, whether you love us or hate us. Why not?
0: But you can reach out to us in, oh, so many ways. For instance,
1: over on social media platforms, you can get in touch with us at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Mastodon, search for Film file UK. There we are. Look on YouTube. We're on YouTube as well, Filmfile UK. Or you can get directly in touch with us via email, podcast at filmfile.uk.
0: And now it's time for this
1: week's Deep
0: dive. Dive, dive, dive. We're going back to 1991 for when producer Joel Silver was king of the big screen. We're going to be talking about The Last Boy Scout, directed by Tony Scott, written by the great Shane Black, produced by said Joel Silver and the film starred Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. Joe Hellenbeck's a private detective who's run out of luck.
1: If you touch me again, i kill Two for two. Told you. Jimmy Dix. I like prints. Is an
0: ex-quarterback who was thrown out of football. Another tragic tale of wasted youth. You're nobody. Shh. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> They were trying to clean up their acts. You vacuum. I'll dust. When they got dragged into the dirty world of sports corruption. So you're going to bribe some senators to legalize gambling? <laughs> legalize. Sports gambling. Now. Son, we're going to a ball game. They've got one shot. What am I going to do? Point at the bad guys and shoot! To get the goods. <laughs> I'm the This once I would like to hear you scream. Play some rap music. Even before the last Boy Scout hit the big screen, the script written by Shane Black set a record for its purchase price of 1.75 million, with over a million guaranteed upfront for the writer Shane Black. This was one of the most anticipated movies of its time due to that script. However, the film underperformed. Now, this is a film that I've asked for to deep dive because it's a film that I really, really like. It's set against a backdrop of Friday Night Football, a huge event in American cultural history. The film starts with a dramatic scene, and you can understand why the script sold for the figures that it did. Uh, During the halftime of the televised football game, uh, a running back receives a phone call from a mysterious man who warns him to win the game or he'll be killed. The football player Billy Cole in Jess PCP in a drug-induced rage, brings the gun onto the field, shooting three of the opposing players to reach the end zone before shooting himself. And then we meet private investigator Joe Hallenbeck, a disgraced former Secret Service agent, played or underplayed by Bruce Willis, who was once a national hero and is now a down-on-his-look private eye. But this be the Shane Black movie, You've got to have a buddy. And that buddy came in the form of former quarterback Jimmy Dix, played by Damian Wayans. And from there, you get a very typical Shane Black movie, which I like. But you, Andy, on the other hand, not as keen.
1: Yeah, uh, I watched this for the first time when it came out on VHS for the, like years and years ago. I didn't see it at the cinema. My mates had raved about it. And I had a circle of buddies who like were obsessed with the film. And so I sat and watched it and I wasn't overly impressed back then. Over the years, I've only had vague memories of some moments of the film that I can remember. The nose breaking, you know, touch me again and I'll kill you. And then he like he goes to light the cigarette and punches him again, breaks his nose into his brain. I remember that moment. I remember the dancing jig at the end, but the rest of it was just a haze of like generic action entertainment at the time. So this revisit this week was a chance for me to reevaluate my own thoughts on what I considered to be an early forgettable entry in Willis's history. However, all it managed to do was reinforce my opinion that this film just doesn't work for me. It's not terrible. It just is it's just there. Looking up online about it, I know that at the time it had a very mixed critical reception. It did poorly at the box office. Roger Ebert's review, which was a positive review, he gave it three out of four. He still described it as utterly corrupt and vilely misogynistic action thriller. And it's that last bit there, which I think kind of bugged me back then and bugs me still today. It is vilely misogynistic throughout. It feels even more so these days, seedy and a relic of the late 80s only it was made in the early 90s when maybe we should have grown up a bit. And I'm not blaming Shane Black for this because I do think that Shane Black's script in there is buried in there and kind of lost somewhere along the way. And I know that Shane Black and Tony Scott both said in later years that the original script was far better than the final film was. And I get the feeling that there is a good film in there. My problem with this, I think I put my finger on it this week. I just don't like Tony Scott.
0: This was Tony Scott, there's been three different Tony Scott type of movies you've got is uh, this stage when it was much more closer to, to TV commercials and that highly stylized look. And then you got sort of a, uh, the more experimental Tony Scott. And then towards the end of his career, he was hugely experimental. If you remember movies like I uh, made films like Domino, where he was basically making art film action movies.
1: I am Domino Harvey. And I am a bounty hunter. God, oh, that film's terrible. <laughs> There's only two Tony Scott films that I've got love for, and that's The Hunger, which was his first outing, yeah. and True Romance, which I think his stylizings works well with a Tarantino script. I think that was a perfect meld. But everything else that he's done has just been average at best. I mean, Top Gun, there, I've said it. Top Gun is average. I've said it. It's out there now. You can all hunt me down.
0: You see, I like last boy scout and i am aware of all the problems and i actually uh, agree with all, all the problems that, that you see in it but what i do like about it is that buddy cop genre it is one of my my go-tos i am a sucker for that kind of banter that kind of dialogue that kind of uh, throwaway line that sort of cynical and smart sort of uh, approach to it that's my kind of movie so i, I enjoy elements of it it doesn't hold water. Certainly falls apart in kind of the uh, in the last act, uh, and that's probably due to the fact that there was so much going on behind the scenes. This was supposed to be the big comeback for Bruce Willis after just having suffered from a flop with Hudson Hawk, which is again a film that I I have a lot of time for. Uh, you had a testosterone led production with Willis at the height of his game, Joel Silver at the height of his game, Tony Scott at the height of his game, and Shane Black (laughs) at the height of his game. And all that as a mix didn't really work that well with everybody trying to punch up this story to make it bigger than Die Hard. The fact that Willis and Damon Wayans hated each other uh, and they had these sort of, according to Silver, insane, long, horrible fits of sanity um, and constantly fighting against each other And to the fact that when the film was delivered, it was uh, a bit of a mess. Veteran action editor, the great Mark Goldblatt, was brought in to work on it and basically kind of took the ever-expanding budget and tried to get it down and whittle it down into a a half-decent, action buddy movie but i've got a soft spot for it it's not great i think it's got an amazing audacious opening uh with the football field sequence it's got some great patter i like sort of the downplayed private detective movie i always have i think Tony Scott is very self aware on how ridiculous everything is and therefore turns everything up visually to number 11. Uh, and I think Willis gets by, even though he's playing an utterly unlikable character. But it's for me, it's one of those movies that I, if it's on, I'll always watch it and I'll always enjoy it. I seem to be alone as the film underperformed expectations, even with all those names connected to it. But it wasn't the disaster, the Hudson Hawk, and it did give an opportunity for Bruce Willis to come back into the fold.
1: I'm a fan of the buddy cop genre. I'm a fan of like that kind of two personalities that don't quite get on, but gel quite strongly through the banter. And Shane Black is a master of that kind of script. Yeah, you, know, you you referenced that Willis and Wayans didn't get on on set. And I get that feeling because whenever they're both on screen together, it doesn't work. I don't feel there's any chemistry there, either for the good or for the bad of the film. They just deliver their lines and get out of there. It just doesn't gel. And Tony Scott is the main issue. Probably as well, Joel Silver, because the the clashes that they all had on set have created a mess that got edited and edited and edited. I I remember reading that the early screenings of it went down so poorly that they then panicked and started going through uh, Scott's archive of alternate takes because Scott was known for doing multiple shots of every every shot. And so they went through and tried to construct a different film out of it. I, you, I get that feeling watching it. It doesn't feel like a coherent film. It doesn't feel like there's much of a story in there. No, I mean, it
0: is It is the banter. It is the style that, that got the film, film made uh, and got the script sold for that ridiculous figure. You know when a film's in trouble that they have to bring in Stuart Bird, who is kind yes. of the editor's editor. Um, and he came in to re-edit production and he'd done so before on films like tango and cash and demolition Man uh and made enough of enough cuts to a bring the rating down and to make it into a coherent story
1: this is a film that i think that had this script landed in the laps of someone like matine or donna we could have had absolute gold but somewhere along the way scott and silver fumbled the ball before the touchdown i see what he did there
0: and i'm going to agree with you i'm i'm still going to say that i like this movie don't love it but I've got a lot of time for it. It takes me back to uh, the kind of movies that I grew up and enjoyed. I think in retrospect, it's it's not as great as I thought it did when it when it came out. Uh, I was always a Bruce Willis fan, and, and I like seeing Bruce Willis play these kind of characters, even though in this he's, he's utterly unlikable. But I, I do have a soft spot for it. But I do go with everything you, you're telling me, Andy. I, I, I've got to agree with that as well. But then again hey i like hudson hawk we won't hold that against you if you want to see the last boy scout andy where can you find it
1: if you want to see it you need to head over and either rent it from all your streaming services or purchase it It's not available for free on any service at the moment i've not seen it rotate around for quite a while however i just want to do a quick update on one of the deep dives from a few weeks ago raging bull when we did our deep dive a few weeks ago we said that it wasn't available for free watching it's now on Amazon Prime. So if you've not got around to it yet, Raging Bull is now landed on Amazon Prime. Get it watched. We'll be back next week with another deep dive.
0: And now it's time for this week's reviews. Three of them we've got for you. Two of them Andy and I have seen together. Let's kick off with the big one. Let's swing straight into the latest animated Spider-Man film, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse.
1: You have a choice between saving one person Saving every world.
0: I can do both.
1: You can't run forever, kid.
0: It is this week's big release. After reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Brooklyn's full-time friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, Miles Morales is catapulted across the multiverse, where he encounters a team of other Spider-People charged with protecting the Spider-Verse's very existence. However, when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other Spider-Folks. We've got to start by just simply saying, This film visually is an absolute triumph, which has taken animation to, dare I say, a brand new level.
1: It plays with so many different animation styles within one film. It's so creative, so inventive, and even though you've got what should be jarringly contrasting animation styles within one scene, they gel and they work together so perfectly. The different animation styles are representing the different multiverse aspects. There's even some live action moments scattered within, which gel perfectly. And even within the mainframe of one reality, the animation style subtly changes gwen's reality for example goes from being like really realistic to almost painting backdrops depending on her emotional state which i think is a beautiful way to represent how she feels because this isn't a film about loads of spider-men fighting things this is a personal story of gwen stacy's character and Miles Morales' character. It's them and how they relate to the people around them, what the family means to them and how they can use their powers for good and not put their family at risk. The action and the multiverse aspect is just part of how to tell this personal journey. And it's amazing.
0: When we started on this, I mean, the big question was, Would it be possible to make a film that was as inventive or uh, stylistically bold or even as cool as Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? And we know when you look at sequels, could a sequel ever match something that was so visual and so energetic Mm. and and felt so fresh? And and the answer is simply uh, yes, Uh, triumphantly yes. The first film was a sensation. This is a fresh take. That is incredibly energetic and kinetic and goes above and beyond that movie.
1: For those who are huge comic book fans, boy, you are going to end up buying this when it comes out on Blu-ray and pausing your Blu-ray every two or three seconds for a good chunk of the film. Because there is a myriad of references to pretty much everything that has been dabbled with. A page on screen, every variation of Spider-Man is within there somewhere. There's loads of little box outs. With descriptions and like little tease notes. There's an editor's note at one point for Cockney Rhyming Slang, which had me chuckling. There is a <laughs> lot to enjoy in this. But for those who aren't comic book readers who are thinking at this point in time, is like, oh, well, if it's going to be so bogged down with references, how am I going to enjoy it? You don't need to know because it's so enjoyable anyway. Because you're happy to accept because that the laws of this world, and indeed the MCU in general, with the multiverse aspect, is that you will see variations of characters that you love. So you're now okay to be able to accept it. So you'll just have fun seeing how silly and diverse the Spider-Verse can be. And when we say silly, it gets really silly. And there's some nice references to uh, characters and even cars that we've had in Spider-Man over the years, and including... I mean, given the spider buggy the named peter parked car was just a work of genius (laughs) i'd say the middle chunk of the film is the part of the film that is packed with the laugh a minute moments and you will be laughing i guarantee whether you're a fan of spider-man or not you can't help but laugh at all the antics once they traverse through the spider-verse the first start of the start of the film has some light humor it has some yeah, it introduces the character of the spot in quite a jokey manner and then utilizes him, and he gets darker through the film. And then the back end of the film is really heartfelt and it plays the emotional range beautifully.
0: I, I just want to jump in on that because what, what we said when we came out of the film is how incredibly complex the storyline is um, and when i say complex i mean the complexities of relationships you've got miles yeah. and gwen's their kind of will they won't they romance but then we've got sort of the parental elements of what it takes to be a hero and whether you can express that to uh, a parent or parents so at the heart of it is you've got uh, a young guy wanting to try and do the right thing it's a, mm. it really is an emotional core to this film so for all the moments where you you are thwipping around screen where all the moments that you've got this sort of masterful use of pop art that fizzes out of the screen for all sort of the blockbuster music that kicks in and the sort of hip-hop it comes down to this sort of question about why you should wear a mask and what does it take to wear a mask and do the right thing. So yes this film is cranked up visually to number 11 but at the heart of it it is is an emotional story which for a lot of the time is characters sat around, or albeit sat around underneath a a building looking out on a New York skyline, talking about where they are and why they're lost in this bigger universe and what it is they're trying to do.
1: All in all, this was a film that clocks in, including end credits at two hours 20, that didn't feel anything like that. It zipped by. It felt much shorter than it actually was. And remember, when you're going into this, it is the first of two parts. So don't expect a complete story because it's left us at a point where, oh man, I can't believe we've got to wait almost a year to continue. And I can't wait to continue it again. I can't wait to revisit this again, but I can't wait for the final part of it next year. This is a perfect example of how to deliver on a sequel. Build on what you've set up in the groundwork in the first one and expand out, but keep the heart, keep it personal. It's not about the action. It's about the characters. That's what makes this work.
0: I totally agree. And you can find Spider-Man at your nearest cinema. Watch it on the best screen that you can because it will fizz and jump out right at you.
1: And me and Lee didn't just see one film at the cinema together this week. We also, big Stephen King fans that we are settled in to scare ourselves senseless with Boogeyman.
0: When there are scary things we don't understand, sometimes the best thing to do is to face it. This light is going to gradually start flashing. So you can see that there's nothing to be afraid of. Just you, your sister, and me. (laughs) See? That's not so scary. Is it? The Boogeyman. I was going to start off by saying this is based on a Stephen King story. It takes its influence from a Stephen King story, from one particular scene in a Stephen King story, uh, which you'd have found in the original Night Shift anthology book, a book of short stories, all by King. It's a very early story in, in King's writing career. The story features high school student Sadie Harper and her younger sister Sawyer, who are reeling from the recent passing of their mother. They're not getting much in the way of support from their father, Will, who is a therapist, who's dealing with his own issues and intense pain. The story kicks in when a desperate patient unexpectedly shows up at their house seeking help. He leaves behind a terrifying supernatural entity that preys on families and feeds on the suffering of its young victims. Directed by Rob Savage, written by Scott Beck, Brian Woods from Quiet Place, which I think this has some familiarity with. This is a horror film that hits all the horror tropes with great scares, eerie settings, uh, darkness, but it also deals with a family coming to grips with a tragedy and it all adds to a very creepy backdrop uh we had a lot of fun with this didn't we andy
1: yeah i've had love for rob savage since he delivered host during lockdown i thought that he showcased in that that he clearly knows the horror tropes and knows how to play with them dash followed the usual found footage approach and the problem with found footage approach is there's always a point in the film when you go, well, why are they still filming? Why have they picked up the camera again? What's the point of this? And they always break me out of it. But host worked well because it was a Zoom call um, approach. And this is his first step into mainstream horror. And he demonstrates with it that he's not a one-trick pony. And he certainly does know his horror lore and tropes and how to, how to play them in a more effective way. The key thing to realize here, and I've said this a few times, is jump scares don't tend to have an effect on me. I love watching, I said to you before we watched this, and I love watching a horror film with you because you jump.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do. I Whereas
1: do. I'll just tend to sit there and it just washes over me. However, this film made me jump twice because it earned the jump scares because it's fabulously framed subtle shadow movement and trickery to put you on edge before delivering a result of a jump scare, it earned the setup for it. It already got me locked into it on a psychological level that when the jump happens, I was not ready for it. Uh, the sound mix as well helped because there's noises that the shadowy creature utters that put me on edge. It captured, this is what I think a horror film should be. It captured the psyche more than just doing that, oh, cat behind the curtain jumps. The jump scares were there for your general audience, but I was already I was already lost into a, like a a weird twisted psychological nightmare.
0: I'm going to agree because this is my kind of horror film uh, exactly. If I was going to say what do I like in horror movie, this ticks a, a lot of the boxes. I like a monster. I'm not keen on your sort of slasher movie characters. Mm. Uh, I'm not keen on sort of satanic-y type monsters. I like a proper monster where you don't know where it came from and you don't have to understand its backstory. It does what it needs to do. And you don't see much of it? Not nowadays, no. I, 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 they, they almost remind me of this sort of the old, and it gets referenced in this movie, the old sort of horror comics like the EC comics or mm. some of the early horror Marvel comics where you see a monster going around doing what it needs to do. And, and that's what I enjoyed about it. I thought it was help, but it had a great cast, especially in Sophie Thatcher as the teenager Sadie, and, and a younger sister who is uh, one of those kid characters who feels like a kid character.
1: Vivian Lyra Blair was marvellous.
0: Yeah, written as a kid character as opposed to a, a young adult who just happens to be nine or ten. Yeah, You're right, it is Rob Savage going for uh, the more conventional, but give me an un-gimmicky ghost story that's well-constructed, then I, I'm in.
1: I love that we only get teasers and subtle glimpses of the Boogeyman throughout. It's only in the final act that we get to see it revealed. But even then, it's very shadowy. We don't get all the details. And when it comes to us seeing how it feeds on fear, boy, that was so creative. That was a beautiful moment. I, I'm not going to say what happens in it because I don't want to spoil the reveal of this. This was a great use of a monster within a film. Like you said, the The child actors, Sophie Thatcher and Vivian Lyra Blair were great. And it's always a tripping up on a lot of horror films when they use kid actors. The kid's got to be really good, otherwise it doesn't sell it. But even the toddler who was glimpsed in the rather unsettling opening scene delivers a chillingly convincing scream that had me just completely on edge. And using child actors is a big risk. But when you can get a cast like this, it helps sell the film. Because like you say, they're not written as adults in child bodies. They are written in a childish way. They act like children would. This is what I want from horror. As a Stephen King adaptation, it's not much of an adaptation. It only borrows from King pretty much for that opening moment. It's a set up what could potentially be a franchise. I hope they don't do it to death. I'd like to see another another exploration of uh, The Boogeyman in a different family environment. But as it stands, this is just a beautifully shot, marvellous horror film that plays on your mind with sound, shadows, subtle movements, and certainly does deliver on the final act.
0: Yeah, got to go with that. Well-constructed, a lot of recognisable tropes in it, but this is my kind of a horror film. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Is it going to revolutionise horror? Absolutely not.
1: makes me more interested into seeing what Rob Savage is going to be up to next. It gives
0: you some some good chills, some good acting, some great execution. What more do you need? Exactly. Just don't leave the closet door open. And finally, a film that looks... I've seen enough clips in the trailer to know this looks pretty astonishing. Andy, tell us about Sisu. We might have a problem. He's
1: a one-man death squad believe that he's immortal
0: no he just refuses to
1: die during the last days of world war ii when the remaining nazi forces are taking a scorched earth retreat through finland a solitary gold prospector finally uncovers a seam of riches however his journey back home with his find sees him cross paths with a squad of retreating german soldiers and some of them decide to take his gold from him unfortunately for them they find out too late that they messed with the wrong guy As this prospector is a legendary soldier who lost everything and became a one-man death squad nicknamed koshal the immortal what follows is a brutal and bloody cat and mouse game as this one man mounts brutal revenge on the troops kind of like a bizarre cross between john wick and inglorious bastards Sizu is just over 90 minutes of marvelously paced action-infused fun with shockingly brutal and bloody moments sometimes comical killings and occasionally preposterous elements that work because the film earns them entirely. The slight story is perfect for the level of crazy carnage on offer and lends it an almost comic book feel at times and a grindhouse aesthetic at other moments. Yorma Tomila in the central role plays pretty silent throughout lending an air of quiet menace to the Lone Fighter which makes his presence on screen a much more dominating one. Director Jalmari Hallander who gave us the rather wonderful rare exports back in 2010, knows how to keep the fun carnage rattling along at enough of a pace to let us care for the events whilst not being bludgeoned into boredom by the level of violence on screen. There are light touches of humour scattered throughout, mostly through the reactions of the German troop and the manner in which they are creatively taken out, which make it not feel too oppressive at any point. This film was just immense fun, and it's certainly one I look forward to revisiting from time to time basically it's 90 minutes of one man dispatching a bunch of nazis what's not to like as i said
0: andy that looks my kind of movie it looks kind of all shades of awesomeness uh, i'll try and give that one a go but that's it for this week what are the big films or what can we expect over the next week
1: so at cinemas this coming week i'll be watching it i'm pretty sure lee won't transformers rise of the beasts lands I'll give it a go <laughs> Chevalier also opens this week. I'm more interested in seeing this period drama because Samara Weaving is in it. And I know that she can deliver on horror. I want to see her deliver on serious drama. Also, on limited release on some smaller cinemas War Pony, Medusa Deluxe, Love Without Walls, they're all out there somewhere. So there's a variety of things. Over on Now TV and Sky, Simulant lands this week. On Netflix, there's Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary called Arnold, which looks worth watching. Paw Patrol, the movie, for those who didn't get a chance to see it on the big screen last year. And one of the gems of the last few years for me, unbearable weight of massive talent, lands on Netflix. Over on Amazon, My Faults lands this week and Creed 3 also lands. And for those people who didn't watch all the um, aquatic action of December, Avatar Way of Water lands on Disney Plus this weekend. Over on Apple TV Plus, TV series keep your eye on, starring Tom Holland and Amanda Seyfried about a man arrested for involvement in a shooting whose past is revealed via the interviews that he conducts. The Crowded Room looks intriguing.
0: So that's it then for this week, folks. But yes, of course we go. We do this every week. And you should know if you're a regular listener, we're going to tell you about our neat things. Stuff that we've enjoyed over the last week, whether it's a movie, TV series, a game. I bet we won't be talking about Lord of the Rings Gollum, which has got one of the worst reviews I've ever read. Um, But we are going to be telling you stuff that we think is pretty neat. Andy, what's your neat thing for this week?
1: So this week, I'm bringing a video game to the neat things. And no, it's not gone. Oh, thank goodness for that. As much as I'm a a huge Tolkien nerd, that game just looks disastrous. I'm going to be bringing another PlayStation VR game over to the mix this week because I picked up Beat Saber. Now, Beat Saber is available in VR on every version of VR that there is out there. And it's one of the most popular VR games it's basically dancing with lightsabers okay it uses the rhythm game approach you're stood in a corridor things that you have to hit start coming towards you and blocks that you have to move out the way of are coming towards you as well in a rhythm to the music that you're playing and you have two lightsabers so you have to hit with the blue lightsaber and the red lightsaber on the relevant blocks in the direction that the arrow on the blocks is telling you to go there are other aspects as well like you'll get linked blocks that you have to follow the swing movements To get bonus points you get ones that you can hit in any direction you want loads of variations depending on what level you're playing on and it's so much fun and it's so exhausting at the same time 45 minutes on this and i was a wreck i am so out of shape there's nothing like yeah we're all star wars fans and we all think it'd be nice to hit things hit things with real lightsabers and this is the closest you're going to get to it you're hitting with virtual lightsabers but with the playstation vr2 controllers having the haptic feedback You can feel the buzz of the energy of the lightsabers and when you clash them together you can feel as though it's clashing and i've picked up the music pack for queens tracks i stupidly tried to play don't stop me now on a high level and i almost killed myself (laughs) but it's it's a great game it's a good workout at the same time the vr is amazingly immersive and the music choices help lift it and help make it just so much fun there's loads of different music packs that you can find and so there's so much variety that there's going to be over years to come i'd heard about this game i i didn't pick it up on the previous vr system but i'd heard so much about it that i just thought you know what i'm going to treat myself and it's a great treat so if you've got any vr systems out there be it for playstation be it for pc whatever pick yourself up beat saber if you haven't already you're going to hit things with lightsabers and you're going to love it.
0: What more do you want out of a game?
1: If someone had said, like, a VR lightsaber game, you'd instantly think it's going to be a fighting game. But you know what? A fighting game would have got boring. A dancing game with lightsabers, that's the future.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, my neat thing is a follow up to a neat thing that I told you about only a few short weeks ago, which was the fourth season of the series Barry, created by Bill Hader and Alex Berg, starring. Bill Hader, as Barry Bergman, um, basically, is a hitman. But this series is blacker than black. It's surreal. It's comedic. Uh, It's times utterly, utterly bizarre, and has been one of those rarities, a a series that that you do not know where it's going, that every season has, uh, you put expectation aside and join in for this ride. With the fourth season, we've got to a place where we knew it was coming to an end and that journey is going to get darker and darker before it ends i'm not going to give anything away because i know andy's still watching it and some of you still might not have got to uh, got to see it but just to say the final chapters if you have been with the series you've seen barry dragged through basically damnation before coming up to a final test and in this ending that nobody saw coming as one of those that basically tells you that Barry as a series has never pandered to audience expectation. And of course, there is an inevitable unpandering <laughs> with this show. <laughs> it, it goes in a direction that you wouldn't have expected. Does it make Barry a hero after all? He's a hitman. He's killed hundreds of people. Do we get to see the fate of the fantastic character played by um Harry Winkler, Gene Cousineau, I'm not going to give you anything, but what I'm going to tell you is if you've been along for the Barry ride, then you'll know this series will never let you down, will take you to somewhere that you didn't expect, and the last several episodes, building up to the finale, will take you on that same journey. It's always difficult when you end a show, as we spoke about before, you come in with a certain amount of expectation. Of course, with that expectation, it was always going to be left of centre in Barry, and thankfully it didn't disappoint. A great series i look forward to see uh, what bill is going to do next because he proves that he can do comedy he can direct action sequences and i um, really want to know where he goes next so my neat thing for this week is the final episode of the final season of his great series barry and that folks that's us done for this week uh thank you as ever for joining us two reviews from both of us what more do you need
1: yep that's it for the year now uh we're, we're oh, not going to watch the same thing. Yeah. We're done. Don't, don't forget to rate us five stars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll be back again next week. Any plans for um uh, for the week, Andy?
1: Uh, my week off of just vegging and catching up on all the shows that I've been intending to get round to, but not had time. I can't go out. I mean, it, it's sunny outside. And, you know, you know, anyone who's watched my video things on YouTube knows how pale I am. I have ginger gene within me i might not be ginger but i have the gene gene in there i burn i turn to a crisp if i go outside so i don't risk it
0: um if you aren't leaving the house then please please check out andy's videos of him reviewing uh and basically doing deep dives into (laughs) our very early episodes i cringed through uh through watching that i can't believe how far that we've come
1: i'm trying to pick out the next one to look at um I quickly, because I, I don't want to listen to the episodes before I do those videos, so just been quickly going on to like the beginning to see when I stopped doing that stupid voiceover. I stopped it on episode four, so I'm probably going to do episode four revisit next, because it, it looks like we kind of changed a bit of the mould at that point, so uh, I'm looking forward to revisiting that.
0: That's us done. See you next week, and remember, you're real cool for somebody who's about to take a bullet. We set our social. Sorry,
1: I'm missing a big chunk out. Did we? Did we set a social challenge, boy? (laughs) (laughs) No, carry on. (laughs) And it can't do a thing with its hair. I'll leave that one out. (laughs) It just goes well. Bruce Willis is a man. (laughs) just leave it there. (laughs) Damon Wayans is another man. These men are men fighting other men because of a woman. (laughs) who's not a man
0: even before the last boy skate oh come on Lee last
1: boy skate skating last boy skating last boy skate for Jesus
0: (laughs) even before the last boy skate oh I'm doing I'm doing that thing now which I hate it kills me that, that piece of music at the end of Dawn of the Dead So it just makes the everything you watch is just a
1: joke.
0: (laughs) And I still don't get Romero's inclusion of that piece of music.
1: Okay. (laughs) It's in my head now, thanks. Yeah. Good. That's it, you've done it. Uh gonna have that in my head all day. (coughs) <coughs> Someone's smoking on the left hand side. Oh, yeah. <laughs>